Hello and welcome to Empire's very special Gremlins podcast, starring the one and only Zach Galligan, who you may or may not realise was in Gremlins and Gremlins 2 and Waxwork, and now Hatchet 3. And that's one of the many reasons why he came in to say hi and just generally chat about his career and what he thinks about a potential Gremlins 3, amongst other things. The interviewers who were in charge of this particular podcast were Chris Hewitt and Nick DeSemlin. Enjoy! Uh, we are delighted to be joined in the Empire Pod booth by the great Saka Galligan, star of Gremlins, Waxwork, and now, I believe, Hatchet 3. That is correct, Hatchet 3. Uh, how's, that, how's that going? Uh, well, it's actually, it's going great. It's actually still ongoing. Okay. Uh, we did well, about... What are you doing here, then? You should be... <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, there's a there's been a, a kind of a, a month hiatus, at least for some of the cast members. Okay. We have a bit that we didn't finish uh, in New Orleans... By design. Okay. Um, so we did three weeks in New Orleans, and then we um, just decided there's a sequence without giving it... I can't really give anything away, but there's a sequence where people are in sort of a confined space. Sure. So we thought to ourselves, well, should we really do the confined space in muggy, unbearable Louisiana <laughs> set, or should we just build a set in the, of this small confined space in nice, you know, lost, sunny... Dry. That makes not human sense. LA. Yeah, no, that yeah, that makes perfect sense. But it's allowed you at least the chance to come to London, where it's pissing down with rain at the moment. So That's right. You yeah. must be delighted about that. I, see, here's the thing. I like the rain. I also lived in LA for 15 years, so when it's raining, I'm always kind of like, ah, oh, change of pace. <laughs> okay. And you're like a, you know, you've done so much great horror. You've done Waxwork. You've done. Oh, what do you think of it? Because you were episode. watching it. I thought it was fun. I mean, David Warner, yeah. Patrick Mooney, you can't go wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that kind of 80s kind of, you know, it had a bit of a fright, the original Fright Night kind of vibe to it. So 80s. Not- it's a very, very, I, I find Waxwork and especially Waxwork 2, I find them deeply strange movies. I mean, even <laughs> though I'm in them, I find them very, very peculiar movies. And that's probably because uh, Anthony Hickox, who directed them, is yeah. a dear friend of mine. You know, I mean, he's, 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 he's an interesting guy. <laughs> He is an interesting kind of legendary figure in Hollywood, not only in terms of his imagination and his directing, but in just in terms of his sort of, uh, shall we say, public persona as well. <laughs> and so, he's the son of uh, Douglas Hickox. He who, uh, is. Directed Theater the, of Blood. So it runs theater, in the family. Theater of Blood, Brannigan too. Yeah, absolutely. John Wayne movie. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But with yeah. that heritage, he was, he was naturally drawn towards horror. I imagine with the middle name Wolf, you were also naturally drawn towards horror as a... <laughs> It was just meant to be, wasn't it? Well, you know what's funny? It, it's strange that that I've done as many horror films as, as I have, but maybe it's subconscious because I loved horror movies as a kid. I yeah. loved them. We had a thing in New York uh, on Channel 9 called Chiller Theater. If you were if from that little area, it's kind of a legendary thing. And the, the opening would be this swamp, and you'd see this disembodied hand kind of comes out of the swamp like this, and it goes, Chiller. <laughs> and it spells out Chiller like in these nasty claymation letters are spelled out in front of it. And then the hand reaches down, and it scoops up all the letters. It goes like, and picks up all the letters <laughs> like that. And when, and when you're five years old, yeah, you know, yeah. when you're five, I don't know about you guys, but when yeah. I was five, everything scared me. So the Wizard of Oz flying monkeys, no, hate them. You know, Wicked Witch, uh, hate them. I was like a total scaredy cat. Oh, yeah. So I'd see that hand, and before they even started the movie, I was basically (laughs) completely freaked out. (laughs) Then they'd show movies like The Blob. Oh, the the original, the Steve McQueen one. Steve McQueen one. Okay. And when you're five years old, the the part where the old man takes the stick and he pokes it in the blob and he goes up the stick and then he tries to go, oh, uh, don't do that. I'll turn it the other way. And it still goes, you know, he turns it like so that it'll fall down the stick gravity wise and it still goes up his hand. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, don't go up his hand. (laughs) And I mean, you've you've worked with Christopher Lee. So Christopher Lee, you know, the great horror icon. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that was when I found out he was cast in Gremlins 2. I was pretty freaked out about that. Because I loved stuff like The Creeping Unknown and, uh, you know, Dracula's Risen from the Grave, all mm. of the great Hammer stuff. Mm. When I was like eight years old, I would go up to the magazine stand at 86th and Broadway and I would get Famous Monsters of Filmland. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, like Eerie and Creepy, all of those Warren magazines. Mm. Did you guys have, did you have any awareness of those magazines? Do you no, know we, they are? We, no, we had things like over here, like Starburst and uh-huh. Fear Magazine and things like that. But uh, I only really found out about Famous Monsters of Filmland kind of almost after the fact. It's a shame because I'd, I'd love to have uh, got into it. Mm. You could, I think you can, you can go to various 
sites online and just like de- basically download RARs full of the old oh, wow. magazines from the seventies. It's it's an incredible time capsule. Mm. But th- but they all they ever talked about was in Vampire Circus, mm. <laughs> Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, the the early ones, the nineteen seventy two ones with yeah. like people like Roy Dotrice and Oh God, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So did you geek out when you when you were in the same room as Christopher Lee? Did you kind of talk it to him? It was about very I mean it was a very I mean well first of all he's an incredible gentleman. He's one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet and he's very considering the body of work that he's left behind. He's very very um he's proud but he's very low key. He doesn't he didn't carry himself with like I'm Christopher Lee, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's not uh he's very cool. Yeah. And um as luck would have it it was the 200th movie he'd ever done. Really? Gremlins 2 was so we had a huge cake for him with a with 200 you know not 200 candles obviously but with the 200th hey happy 200th movie thing like so a big celebration for him and I think he was very appreciative because you know all actors have sort of highs and lows in their careers and hills and valleys and this was a period kind of in between the hammer period and before the Star Wars Lord of the Rings sort of re-explosion yeah so I think he was extremely gratified by the level of respect that Joe Dante accorded him and was really grateful to be around people who who recognized him for his talent. There are some really sly gags in uh, Gremlins 2, uh, referring to Dracula. There's a moment where the, uh, the bat gremlin goes to the wall and yeah. leaves a Batman uh, symbol on the wall, but also when, when uh, Christopher Lee first sees it, unfurl its cape and there's a moment on looks at it. have I seen this before yeah, this exactly. is, yeah there's a moment of deja vu here uh, which is great because and it kind of sums up Gremlins 2 for me it's one of my one of my favourite films and it's probably the most subversive sequel ever made Warner Brothers didn't seem to be aware of that subversion going into it I imagine you and Joe were fully in cahoots in that one well you know when I got the script from uh, Charlie Haas I read it and I was like the tone was very funny. I got it, and I was like, "Really, you're going to attempt to do this?" Because, you know, to my knowledge, I don't even think it's been done since then. A, a sequel that that openly winds up the first one. Yes, yeah. you know what I mean, and rather abrasively too. Yeah, it, it it basically kind of pisses on the first one in certain ways too. And you're sort of like, "Really, you really want to go there?" And 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 Dante was like, "Oh yeah, no, it's going to be great." So. Um, so we did it, and when it came out, I mean, you got to understand something. I should probably preface this by saying, when we did the first Gremlins, we shot it. I didn't know that much about film or about editing at the time. I was 19. It was the second movie I'd basically I'd ever done. Yeah. I had a feeling in my mind's eye that I was doing a completely other movie, a different movie. I had sort of more of a feeling I was doing like Aliens, like more sort of an, an action movie. I'm running, I'm this, I'm that, I'm hacking heads off of things. I'm, And then so Joe says, well, c- come and see it. It's done. Come and see it. So Phoebe and I go and, and see it. And halfway through it, I'm in this bizarre, strangely lit cartoon. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck? Because I, I, I was really, really stunned and I was kind of taken aback. Now, of course, in retrospect... It is what it is. I can't even really imagine it any other way. But at the time, the shock of the new was so... Phoebe and I both, we walked out. We saw it at a tiny screening room, Warner Brothers lot. Joe, uh, 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 Dante, Mike Fennell, Phoebe and myself. Just the four of us. They're sitting in the back. They're all nervous, wondering about, you know, whether the actors are going to like it. Or they don't care. I don't know. Or they're <laughs> pretending to be nervous or whatever it is. And so Phoebe and I, like... I don't neither one of us smoked so we took some kind of break somewhere so that she and I could talk and I was like what do you think she's like what do you think I, was like, I have no we were just, it was just so different yeah. from what we thought that we were creating yeah so I had a lot more confidence not confidence but a, a sort of awareness about what the second one was going to be like so yeah. they're like it's going to be great they told me it was going to be great I thought it's you know it's going to be great and it is it's 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 kind of a, an amazing movie. I think it's one of the movies that gets better as the years go on. It gets less dated and the sense of humor sort of gets more uh, in sync. Yeah, I think it took a while for people to catch up with the film rather than the other way around. Um, yeah, it just got a glowing review in the New York Times too when they, with the Blu-ray coming out. 
Oh, fantastic. They basically just sort of like did a we are not worthy. <laughs> We're so sorry about that stupid 1990s review. Big old mayor culpa from the New York Times. It's yeah, incredible. Like, and, and yeah. there was a, we got a slightly different version of it in the UK, didn't we? Because there's a, there's a moment where the film stops. Right. And Hulk Hogan comes out. The, the yeah. Script. And who, who yeah. came out in the UK version? Uh, I think John Wayne comes out. Right. Oh, right. I've UK seen that version. one. Yeah. 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 Uh, I saw it at the cinema and it, it got me the first time around and then a video uh, it, I think they kept the Hulk Hogan one in a video I, I need to double yeah. check it but uh, but it's uh, you know both of those films I watched endlessly as a kid and I, I saw something you posted on Twitter uh, quite recently which piqued my interest which I think you said that security guards would stop you when you were leaving the set and search you for, to make sure you weren't taking anything on the second one well, I didn't. I couldn't drive for the first one. And if you watch the the, the, the VW bug scenes rather closely, you can see I don't. I don't think I drive more than three or four feet in the entire <laughs> first first Gremlins movie because I didn't have a driver's license. I was I was a Manhattan boy. Okay. If yeah, you live in Manhattan, yeah. you take the subway and the bus. You, there's absolutely no point in having a car. It's almost a kind of a detriment. People look at you and go, "Car, really?" Yeah. And they kind of look down their nose at you. So I'd moved out to LA for the second one. So obviously I could um, drive. Every morning, I would I would drive to the set, get up bright and early, and just crank music on the stereo system on the way there. Usually, Volume Four by Black Sabbath was my go- <laughs> that was my go to go to tape for that uh, particular uh, film. And um, so you drive, and they give you an assigned parking space right. right next to the stage. And then when I left, you have to go out through the lot, and there's a whole you know phalanx of security guards and rather than after four months of doing this rather than people being like hey Zach hey how are you like, every day it was like hey Zach how are you pull over <laughs> open your trunk alright move that to the side <laughs> lift up the tire okay great have a nice day that's amazing. You know, and that didn't amazing. happen on the first show. That was just the... Well, I, but I wasn't driving. Oh, I was course, just taking yeah. to and from in a, right, in, right, in right. a van. What, what did they think they were, you were going to steal? That I think they thought... Well, it wasn't just... First of all, let me just say, it wasn't just me. <laughs> no, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just like, like, it was a special like that, lane for you. That, 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 that Zach guy. <laughs> you better watch him. Blasting Black Sabbath. When the glove goes on, you got a little bit worried. <laughs> it's like three weeks in a full body cavity search. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they, they basically searched everybody who came to and from the set because... And, and most people, I guess they're not really aware of it, but when we did Gremlins and Gremlins 2, we had anywhere between probably 50 and 70 actual Gremlins that had been constructed. Mm. A lot of the other ones were then matted in with special effects later and stuff. If you want crowd scenes, stuff like that, like in the movie theater in the first one. And then you'd probably have about, you know, 20 or 30 versions of Gizmo or Mogwai around. And each one of those creatures was probably worth somewhere in the area between like t- at the time 10 and 40 thousand dollars so it's no different than having j- you know gems <laughs> or, or watches lying around you know if you're working at a watch store all day long yeah and you know you're yeah. an employee you're gonna get probably frisked on the way yeah. out, out of the store you know or searched or go through a metal detector or something so that's what it was that's so the equivalent they were worried you weren't seeing these guys as co-stars but as college funds for your kids and- they just thought that maybe you know somebody would be like and it wasn't even so much theft like for profit it was like maybe someone would take one because for sentimental reasons mm-hmm. someone would take one because they wanted to donate it to Planet Hollywood whatever <laughs> and they were kind of like this is our shit we're paying for it and you can't take it had you been tempted to take one which one would you have taken? There was a remote control gizmo. A little remote giz that was adorable. And you could peel his face off, right? You know, you'd peel his face off. They're like, And he would have different expressions. So there'd be a kind of a, ooh, kind of wide-eyed, shocked expression face. And then there'd be sort of a grumpy, I'm in the backpack and grumpy and being thrown around the pencils kind of expression that yeah. you put on. So I would probably take taken the remote control one. <laughs> And you have a bit of a connection to another big 80s franchise, Ghostbusters, in that you worked with Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray on Nothing Lasts Forever. Yeah, that was very, very strange uh, kind of set of coincidences because I did Nothing Lasts Forever. That was the first film I ever did. And the whole story behind that one is like a, a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> but we shot that movie 19, summer of 1982. Actually finished around June 1982. Then I went off to Columbia University um, being a good New York City boy, mm-hmm. staying in town so I could be an actor and everything like that. And I'm on my campus 
about a year later and I see this huge in the middle of the quad I see this huge kind of like white hearse with a ghost and a little red circle and a red slash through it and I go what on earth is that yeah. because the movie you hadn't seen the movie yet and then I see Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd in these these like suits holding these what seem to be ray guns yeah and I'm going what the heck is so <laughs> so you have to understand at the time Bill Murray Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd were gargantuan yeah. from Saturday Night Live and basically what Kristen Wiig is now you yeah. know like in the states the huge massive superstars so there there are barricades and about 150 maybe 200 kids behind the barricades so I just worked with these guys to uh, you know maybe a year earlier yeah so I walk up to the barricades and I go hey Danny Billy and nobody ever calls Bill Murray Billy except people who've like worked with him and know him because he says call me Billy I don't, I don't really he doesn't really want to be called I don't know why he wants to be called Billy so I, I waved at them and I shouted and Murray spots me through the crowd because I'd sort of like pushed my way up to the front and he goes it's the kid <laughs> and, I, yeah, right? and, and, and Aykroyd turns around and goes oh that's right so it is oh yes yes so it is you know it's a quick thing like that so um so uh Aykroyd waves to me like go under the barricade come wow. c- come over right yeah, yeah. and so I go into the like they, they go the 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 policeman goes you can't go under there and in one of the greatest moments of my life <laughs> Murray walks over and goes it's okay he's with us <laughs> in front of like all of my classmates and everyone's like freaking out That's so I amazing. go under so here I am and I'm chatting with them they're like yeah so you're working with Steven oh great you know Spielberg right because yeah, yeah. I had I hadn't um, done Gremlins yet but okay. I've been cast in it okay. So yeah, you're gonna do that. Oh great! Actually, maybe I think I I just finished it. Yeah, it was September. I just finished it. Yeah. And they're like, so you worked with Steven? Oh yeah, great. Oh, I'll tell him I said hi. Oh yeah, sure I will. This and that. Oh, I'm talking about Spielberg with Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, at, you know, on the on the set of Ghostbusters on my college campus. <laughs> Meanwhile, 18 months earlier, I was doing like you know bad productions of Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah. In my high school. It's amazing. <laughs> it was just, the, talk about the shock of the new. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, we, a, it's a thing that Ghostbusters and Gremlins were both made at the same time. And it's, released the same day. It's crazy, of course. Yeah. yeah. June, June 8th, 1984, same exact day. Absolutely. And uh, you, you, know, did, you wrote a feature about that. We did. We did yeah. a Ghostbusters Gremlins feature where, and I, I spoke to Dan Aykroyd and he remembered um, that, you know, you guys were shooting alongside and he would come on over and have a look at it and vice versa and stuff like that. What was that, what was that period like for you? Because Gremlins was... Yeah, you've, you've you've made films before that, but essentially your big, your first big film, and there it is opening on the same day as Ghostbusters. But you've got the might of Steven Spielberg behind you in that great marketing campaign with the box and the rules. And were you nervous, excited? Did you did you sense that you were on the the sense uh, the edge of a precipice? Or well, I think I think it all goes back to the day that I got the part. Actually, I'd flown down with some of my high school buddies. I'd flown down to. Um, Fort Lauderdale. I was okay. going to do kind of a spring break thing. Yeah, and I had li- I had landed that I think earlier that day. Yeah, earlier that day, and because I had what I what it was was it was like a I had auditioned. I'd done my final audition on Thursday. Okay, and I'd flown down the next day on Friday, and so I had landed at around noon, and then I'd gone to the beach and you know to the bar because even though I was nineteen back then, the drinking age in the U.S. was eighteen. Okay. So I was having a margarita, and um, and somewhere along the oh that's right I was having a margarita and then my friend came from our room and said, "You've got a message, so you may want to go up to your room." Your mom said, "Call back, it's urgent." So I put down my margarita and my whatever Mexican food I was eating at the time, mm. and I went up and I called my mom, and I had played a trick on my mom when I first booked a part. I'd come very very close for nothing lasts forever. And, and I hadn't gotten it and they d- did uh, done an open casting hadn't found anyone and then gone back for a sort of second round and eventually cast me and when I got it I went up to her and I was like mom you'll never guess who got nothing lasts forever and she, her face fell she goes who and I was like you're looking at him <laughs> and she was like no way no way right so I was knew I was very close to getting gremlins so I called my mom up and I said uh, what's going on my mom goes you'll never guess who got gremlins <laughs> And I went, who? And she goes, you did. (laughs) And I went, no way. 
she goes way she goes they they have to do all sorts of things you have to sign all sorts of confidentiality agreements you got to get on the plane tomorrow jesus so i went downstairs to my friends of like what's up i told them and there's just stunned silence followed by wow whatever and i i don't really remember the rest of the night i was just in a daze i just remember that i couldn't sleep so i walked outside my hotel and i walked down to the beach in florida and i just looked at the waves crashing on the beach and i thought but your life is probably going to be completely different for the rest of your entire existence after today yeah mm. and it was mm. i mean they say never work with kids or ch uh, kids or animals Did do you include Mogwai and Gremlins in that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, I think as much, you know, I think one of the, the real things that, that happened to both me and Phoebe, me especially, Phoebe had a little bit more of a body of work when she, when she did that movie, but I was basically the new kid on the block, was it, at the time Spielberg was so omnipotent, you know, coming off of E.T., Jaws, Close Encounters, yeah. that's a hell of a run. Yep. E.T. was the number one movie of all time. Poltergeist was a huge smash. Um, and now Gremlins and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom were coming out within three weeks of each other. And the <laughs> anticipation was so amazing. So that, that I think that everyone, to a certain extent, who was involved with Gremlins kind of got swept along. And some of I think some of the credit, especially for Joe Dante, was taken away. And it yeah. was sort of like Spielberg movies. Like, Spielberg... You know, God bless him, and one of the world's greatest filmmakers. So I'm certainly not going to say anything negative about him. But the truth is, he was in Sri Lanka shooting in Temple of Doom. He had very, you know, little to do with the actual um, shooting of yeah. Gremlins. He had a lot to do with the shaping and molding. Um, I mean, he cast me, for example, and and Phoebe. He had casting approval. Okay. So Spielberg, you know, had he had, and he had huge amount to do with Chris Columbus and the script in terms of shaping the script and everything like that. But once the cast was in place and the script was done, mm -hmm. you know, he left. And I think that, like, if you look at the film, the look and the tone and the pacing and, and especially the tone is 100% Joe Dante. And it's yeah. one of the things that, that makes it work, along with, like, things like Phoebe's monologue, which is yes. very Joe Dante's sense of humor and not at all uh, Spielberg's sense of humor. Yeah. I, I don't think Spielberg was liked that monologue. I think he thought it was... <laughs> I think he felt it was a bit much, and Joe Dante was like, it's one of the best things in the picture. <laughs> how, did, how did you and Phoebe feel about that? Because that's one of the most iconic moments in the film, but it's so weird when you watch it. It's so, well, here's like, the thing. Um, it was, I think, the main reason why Phoebe wanted to do the movie. Because if you look at her part, her part's pretty small-town girl. I mean, there's not really a whole lot of dimension to it if you cut that monologue if you'd cut that monologue she just would have been oh you know sort of like transformers like the hot girl with the lead guy um so she was desperate to have that that monologue in there yeah. so we shot it and after we shot it we were, we were hearing rumors that it it might be cut and she was very very uh, upset about that since it was basically the her raison d'etre mm. for being in the movie and um, and it stayed in I believe it stayed in at at, uh, at Joe Dante's insistence oh, because he because he, he loved it he thought it was hilarious and uh, and it is it's, it's a classic cool. scene yeah. classic scene it is. you cannot imagine that playing in a Transformers film no, <laughs> no. it just shows you for that to be in a big summer Absolutely. blockbuster it's, it's amazing crazy. amazing and again it goes back to the subversion of, of Gremlins and I, I love the way it's uh, it, it itself is subverted in Gremlins 2 where she begins to have another speech and then about Lincoln's like, birthday yeah, about Lincoln's yeah. birthday and then uh, who wants to hear yeah. <laughs> who wants to listen to this yeah, we, have, we had a really tough time shooting that scene because we were cracking up during it and if you look at the movie the take that they use I have to duck behind her head to avoid <laughs> cracking up because I think my line is something like sweet darling uh, we really have to be going on here and I start to crack up so I turn my head to the side duck it behind her head to um, to avoid cracking up but you can see me starting to break in it which is fine Joe's like ah, that's fine ah, that's fine that's good <laughs> there, was a, there was a period in Paul McCartney's career where he uh, he declared he wasn't going to play any more Beatles tracks uh, live in concert because he was just a little bit fed up with the connection between himself and the Beatles you know obvious connection to make he's since 
come around, obviously. But was there ever a period in your life when you were like that with, with gremlins, where people would just constantly connect you with gremlins and you were maybe like, oh, well, can we talk about something else? Well, I, I shudder to ever compare myself to Paul McCartney <laughs> because that's that's a ridiculous comparison. He didn't but, star in gremlins, so. He, he, this, yeah, is true. this is true. <laughs> um, that would have been quite, quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been interesting. But I definitely went through just in one similarity I definitely went through a period where it was just like could we shut up about the gremlins <laughs> you know what I mean because it was it was it was just endless but I think that's in a way that's kind of like the sign of the success of the thing is it's just it becomes so overwhelming that you go through a kind of a, a gremlin fatigue if you would yeah but then what happens is you come out the other side of that and you start seeing this things very subtle things that have happen like I was watching uh, uh, television one time and um, we have a channel in, in America called TNT, oh, yeah. Turner Network Television. Yeah. And um, it says, uh, I turned it on and I saw Gremlins. And so, you know, I'll always just for fun, I'll watch 30 seconds and then I'll turn it, you know. Oh, this one. Oh, yeah, right. That was a fun day. Whatever. So I watched 30 <laughs> seconds and then the, the thing went, you're watching Gremlins on TNT, the new classics. And I was like, <laughs> the new classics? Wow, look at that. Absolutely. Look at that. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, it was first you go through the phase of it's a movie, mm-hmm. and then it's a good movie, then it's an old, oh, that movie, it's an old movie. Then it becomes a classic. And when it becomes a classic, you start going, oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. There you have it. And, and you start becoming in. And what's really interesting is that ever since I moved to New York and, and started teaching acting and writing and and branching out doing other things like that and, and not really as a, pursuing the acting career as aggressively as I did when I was living in Los Angeles mm. um, you know my profile got way 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 lower and what I've discovered is that when you kind of go away for a while mm-hmm. that when you do sort of reemerge, people like t- what seems to you is n- as not a lot of times passed to especially to younger people and whatever it feels like a long time mm. So they're like, wow, so where have you been? And not surprisingly, they're excited to see you again. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to like when you see someone, you know, every week at the pub, you're like, oh, that guy. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah. But you go away for two years and then you show up back at the pub. Everyone's like, hey, buy you around, you know, (laughs) thing like that. So I'm I'm getting a lot of that. And it's very deeply surprising to me. But I'm getting a lot. Even when I went on Twitter, people, I mean, you know, some of the responses were. Yeah were a cross between strange and, and you know, deeply, I want to say deeply gratified, deeply polite, let's put it this way. Okay. I don't place a lot of stock in the whole, the whole idea of fame and celebrity. Ever since I've been a kid, I've always found it to be patently ridiculous. I think it's all incredibly silly. I understand it's there and probably bigger now than it's ever been. And the impact that it has on people from being on a screen and everything, I, I, I totally get it. But I, always, I think it's in, incredibly silly. What made you sign up to Twitter in the first place? Well, I guess what happened was I saw social media, I saw things like Facebook explode. Yeah. I just felt I got to find out what all of these things are. And so I got on Twitter and I was like, like I think like a lot of people at first, I was like, I don't, I don't get it. You know, I don't, I just, I kind of didn't get it. <laughs> and then I thought, I, I went back to it and, I, and I, I was very much an observer I would follow a lot of people and I had like 35 followers and then I was just watching and I was sort of watching how it and it was it was amazing what it kind of turned into you got news from it you know most of it accurate because it was just linking to like you know reliable sources if there if there is such a thing <laughs> and um, a lot of humor <laughs> people hipped me to a lot of really cool cultural things yeah. have you read this have you tried that have you seen this yeah. that's a fantastic part of it it would make me laugh more than anything else and even though a lot of people use it as kind of a self-promotional tool somehow there was something limiting about the 140 characters and something creative about it that made it less solipsistic and narcissistic than yeah. Facebook Absolutely. It still is. I'm not going to say it's like, oh, it's like the good one and, and, and Facebook's like the evil twin or something like that. <laughs> it just, it, it has to be, it has kind of like a playful thing about it. Even the word tweet, which at first I thought, that's a stupid term. But now I kind of like tweet. It's just like a little, 
little frothy little thing that you throw out there to entertain people and make their day better. So I just, I, I really like it. I think oh, it's great. I was enjoying your tweets about the UK. You were t- you were listing things you. Oh liked yeah, did about you like UK. that? Yeah, and you're wearing a, a Union Jack T-shirt today. Absolutely, <laughs> by royal appointment. I wanted to ask when you were at an event like the London Film Comic Con, uh, you know, a fan event. Obviously, a lot of people must be coming up and asking about Gremlins and Waxwork. Mm-hmm. Is there one particularly obscure kind of film that that you find has built a fan base that people kind of come up and ask about that surprises you maybe? Well, I'm always surprised at how many people have seen the two Waxwork movies because you got to understand when Waxwork came out. I don't want to say it bombed because it didn't bomb, but it it just sort of, it came out and it did what it did and it went. And it had kind of like a cult following. And Waxwork 2, you know, much less of an impact, I I would say. So when people come up with both of those double DVD discs, I'm always kind of surprised about that. Um, there, there is one thing that I did called Surviving, uh, which was a, kind of like a, a teenage... Uh, it was like a teen suicide movie that I did with Molly Ringwald and River Phoenix and Marsha Mason, Ellen Burstyn, incredible cast, Paul Sorvino, amazing, amazing thing. And uh, somebody posted it on YouTube recently in like 10 parts. You know how they do that? Yes. It's like, and um, so a couple of a few people have been coming up and and talking about that, and that's been very gratifying because it was only shown on US TV, and I think it's probably the best thing I've ever done. Oh, fantastic! Mm. Must be must feel good then when that happens as well. And uh, you know, I'm a big fan of of uh, waxwork. I have to say, I mean, I I grew up watching it loads of times um, and Waxwork 2 is interesting as well because it has both of those movies are kind of self-reflexive in a way I mean they, they parody other horror films and other horror genres um, and Bruce Campbell is famously in Waxwork 2 with with the exposed wounds and the salt yeah um, what, what was that like we were working with, uh, with Bruce and well, I was a huge Evil Dead fan I, yeah. before I was an actor I saw Evil Dead in the theatre like it happened Came out in '82, I think. I saw it in the theater, and actually right near where I live now, on 86th Street, in Manhattan. And um, I found it really scary at the time. Okay. I mean, even though with the claymation stuff, I found that thing in the basement. Oh yeah, it, yeah, just yeah. deeply disturbing, yeah. you know. And and a whole lot of the tone of the movie really. So I thought he was really cool. Then when I met him, he's a really interesting looking person in life. In real life, he actually is one of the few people I've met, and he's a handsome guy, so I'm not saying anything bad, but he looks like a cartoon character. He's got this <laughs> very prominent chin, and it's no wonder he played Derek Dudley. Didn't he do Dudley Do-Right? Uh, uh, that was uh, Brenton Fraser did a oh, one, but did he, 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 played, he played something, he played a character similar to that. Yeah. He should have played Dudley yeah, Do-Right, he because he, Bruce, looks exactly like Dudley Do-Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just... He has amazing features. He's a very handsome guy, but in a very comic book come to life kind of way. And he was just, um, you know, he was, he was a great guy. He was only there for a day, but we had a good time. And uh, but what a day! <laughs> yeah, it was quite a day. <laughs> we eventful. had a lot of fun shooting that scene. I'm wearing that ridiculous Roger Daltrey wig. <laughs> just constantly throwing salt on, on his wounds as well. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. That scene was complete madness. So you've worked with Ash, Dracula, two of the Ghostbusters. Not bad. Steed from the uh, the Avengers. This, this yeah, that bad. was that was huge. Working with Patrick was huge because I grew up with the Avengers. Oh well, my dad loved them. Yeah. He's, My dad loved them, yeah. He's awesome in that film as well. But but now, I mean, you're, you're back. You say you're, you're teaching acting, but is acting fully on the on the back burner for you now? I mean, no, you've no, just no, no, no. Three, but is it how no, you, no, how you no, define no, your no. time? No, no, no. It's, um, no, I would say, we, well, here's one of the things that happened with Hatchet 3, which is very interesting how that came about. Um, I literally was sitting at my girlfriend's uh, uh, family's computer. I was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And... Uh, and I'm looking at my email, and I've, I get—I don't know if, if you guys get tons of spam, but I get oh, tons yeah. of junk email. So I look at it and it goes, Hatchet 3 offer. And I go, <laughs> Hatchet 3 offer. What, what does that even mean? That was the subject line. Then I saw it was from my agent. I went, hang on, Hatchet 3 offer. So let me read this. I was like, oh, offer for a movie. <laughs> like, I couldn't remember the last time so be, someone had offered me a film offers now you know, basically there are about 50 people in Hollywood in the world maybe less mm. who actually get offers for yeah. stuff um, e- even for for things like you know Hunger Games stuff like that people have to audition against serious competition so it's like offer what, is, what does that mean so I looked at the script and I was laughing 
at it not not or with it i should say because it was really witty and funny i was like wow i see they're completely subverting the genre it's full of 80s references have you seen either one of the hatchet ones or two yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's very much like sort of friday the 13th yeah the gore is very over the top and and so i was laughing at it and i really liked it so i was like i went on imdb i said like, who's this adam green guy you know who's this person so the more I read about him, the more he seemed like a very smart, shrewd, up-and-coming guy. I yeah. thought, wow, you know, this is, this is a good person to kind of get to know. And the script was funny. And the character was great. Um, again, I can't talk too much about it, but it's, it's, it's Southern Sheriff thrust into a rather remarkable situation. So they let me do whatever I wanted to do with it. So I, I have this Houston accent through the whole thing, talking like this. <laughs> it's just unbelievable that I get to do that with the guns and the whole thing. It's just so much fun. <laughs> Is it a, a particularly heroic part for you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, and, and it, what's cool about it is it's a badass part too. Oh, cool. I got my Glock nine millimeter, <laughs> and, and there's a tremendous amount of an unbelievable amount of gunfire in this movie. Hmm. Like, and I imagine that a lot of blood as well. I and mean, he, he throws he throws the scarlet around. This is going to be for pe- for people who like the Hatchet movies. The Hatchet one was 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 good in and of itself. It's a classic. Number three takes everything and multiplies it by ten. <laughs> I think there's about something like thirty kills in the movie. Oh wow! Okay, um, That's... there's there's I can't like again the no spoilers. I can't give spoilers. Understood. There's a ton of violence. Yeah. A ton of action. A ton of of blood and entrails flying everywhere, and it's hilarious. At the same time, I Sold. mean, there were times where we were we were we were weeping with laughter, so we would have to. But we were supposed to be playing it straight, so there, you know, so there there are things that we had to. Yeah, it was. A tr- Let's just put it this way: it's tremendous amount of fun, and I was v- very very surprised at. I thought it would look good, you know, because yeah. these guys are g- good at what they do. But they shot it in like a two eight five, oh yeah, anamorphic, yeah, yeah. okay, and. Will Barrett, the DP, has completely outdone himself, and and B.J. McDonald, the the director, who's a Steadicam operator, did a fantastic job on it. It looks enormous. It looks like it looks like a ten million dollar movie. And well, it's not. It's not a ten million dollar movie. That's what Adam Green's kind of the, at the forefront of the new wave of horror in a way, with people like Adam Wingard and Ty West. So yeah, yeah, yeah. very very exciting about that. Um, I just want to. It's obviously a threequel, and you weren't involved in the first two. Um, but you were involved in the first two Gremlins, and there's been talk for a long, long time about a third movie in that series. Right. What's your feeling in that? You know, I, I'm not asking for latest news, but do you have a feeling should there be a Gremlins three? And if there would, if there were to be one, would you be interested? Well, you'd be an idiot if you were me not to want to be in the third one. You're always going to want to be in the in one of the more successful franchises, even though the second one didn't do that amazing box office in the U.S. It did something like a hundred million dollars demand. Um, Worldwide. Wow. Ex- excuse me. It did f- like 48. Yeah. So- somewhere around that in the US and yeah. it did another 100 million. That's especially for 1990. So that, that's pretty good. Yeah. So the thing about it is, it, it I, I think it boils down to this CGI, mm-hmm. three yeah. letters. That's what it boils down to. And I know that, that everyone involved who wants, who, who would be interested in doing a third one. Joe, Mike Fennell, everybody involved with it wants to do the animatronics. They want to do the puppets. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. puppets now would probably be grotesquely expensive. I think the budget on two in 1990 was like 30, 32. Right, yeah, yeah. So now you're talking 22 years later. You've got to imagine you're looking at $200 million or something like that. Mm. Wow. And what most people don't know about Gremlins also is... Let's very quickly look at the shooting schedule. Four and a half months with humans, and then an additional four and a half months second unit with just puppets. <laughs> hmm. So it's a nine-month shoot on both of them. Right. So yeah. now you're doing nine months of shooting. Yeah. Right. Um, so you've got to be committed. Well, you've got to, you if once you're in as Warner <laughs> Brothers, you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And and it's it's going to be expensive. So I think they. I think that's where the impasse is. The impasse is the studio wants to do it for a hundred, and and they're, they're they're like a hundred million apart or something like that. It's interesting because the Muppets obviously came out recently, mm-hmm. didn't use CG, used puppets, and was a hit. And there's now another one coming out, so that kind of shows the that you can do it. And that was the the charm of that film was that they didn't use CG. Right. 
The only the sort of counter argument, if I was Warner Brothers, I would make to that is that the animatronics are incredibly more expensive and difficult and, and technical sure. than hand puppets sure. or, or puppets with a couple of the, you know, the, the wires or things that they have. We'll build a couple. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of spare time. We'll see. We'll see get our readers to you know get their talk. Have you ever um, had conversations with Joe about number three and about what it might be if it were to happen? And do you keep in touch with each other about it just in case? Because I know he's been trying to he's been trying to make it happen, hasn't he, for a while? I really don't know how much he has or hasn't. You'd have to ask him that. Yeah, I, I would imagine that he would probably have some but, but you know I think he had uh, some gremlin fatigue too for a while where, uh, if you think that I was tired or Phoebe was tired <laughs> after doing the first you know two he really both he and Mike when you would see them at the end of of, of the shooting after the you know after they did the five months of, of I mean that's a long time oh, five yeah. days a week five months 12 hour days maybe puppets uh, so you're getting what maybe 10 seconds a day something they, like that they were they were they were exhausted you know it was incredibly hard movie <laughs> to do so I think I think that there was a period and again you'd have to ask Joe this but I think there was a period where he was like you know no, th- as he would say thank you no <laughs> he would he would always puts no on the end of the thing he goes thank you no <laughs> uh, th- so I, I don't think that he wanted now probably enough time's gone by you know you're talking about 20 years for god's sake more absolutely where he he probably he, my guess is he probably got the hankering to do one again maybe you know five seven years ago something like that so i see him at conventions every now and then i saw him in indianapolis was the last time and uh, i think it's i think it's just the cgi deal story-wise do you, where do you see you know do you see there being places where this story can go uh, i remember reading a rumor about gremlins in the white house i don't know if that came from anywhere yeah. but um i mean the thing the great thing about the gremlins franchise is you could basically stick them anywhere and kind of have a fun time yeah i know you're going to think this is shameless pandering but i actually have like a six-page treatment that i wrote out about gremlins in london oh wow Okay, and because I thought that that I think that's a great mix, the the kind of the gremlins running into especially maybe the upper class strata of uh, Britain. It's very sort of obsessed with control and order and etiquette. Stiff upper lip and yes. And so, what's the opposite of stiff upper lip and and doing things the correct way? (laughs) I say. You should not do that, young green thing. <laughs> Get down there. What do you think you're doing? I mean, you know, the possibilities are pretty endless. Absolutely. That'd be, that'd be amazing. So uh, when did you write that? Uh, I wrote that about a year and a half ago. Okay. And because uh, I suddenly sort of sat up in my bed. and Because I almost never think about gremlins. One of the funny things about gremlins is I don't think about it. I walk around just living my life. Yeah. You know, it's something I did t- two decades ago. So I, I don't wake up in the morning and go, "The Gremlin guy, let's have tea." Oh, Gremlin! I don't. I don't think that way. You I wake up a Gremlin and, cup, or exactly. Like, gremlin Gizmo? cover. Check on the closet. Make sure Gizmo's okay. I mean, you know, I don't. I don't do that. Although some people would, you know, probably spoil some people's fantasies and stuff like that. I wake up and I'm like, "Oh, I'll go and I'll have some dumplings in the corner." Uh, you know, that's what I do. And a lot of times. <laughs> Especially if I do something like grow a beard or, or you know, I, I have a tendency to walk around sometimes Manhattan just looking like hell. You know? <laughs> Sweats, I was shaved in five days, bed head, you know, wearing some, some T-shirt that's completely been torn up by my cat because the cat's been like, you know, on my shoulders when I'm riding. Yeah. I've got a cat likes to sit on my shoulder. So a lot of times I just nobody ever recognized. So months can go by. Before. Then something will happen. I've got an audition. I'll shave. I'll clean up. You know, pull myself together and I'll walk around and, and you know lose some weight. And then suddenly people are like, "Hey, aren't you that guy?" And I'm like, "Yes, yes. Oh, right. Oh, right. That's right. I did that." I <laughs> and sometimes I actually forget. I mean, the weeks can go talk by. To people like us, <laughs> it's just gremlins, gremlins. You know, um, I imagine. I imagine that George Harrison might have had that experience because you know he lived in that Friar Park yeah. thing up up by Henley on Thames. Actually, had the the incredible good fortune to to visit the Harrison estate. Oh wow! Because um, my friend Carrie Elways is friend with da- friends with Danny Harrison. Okay. So I got to meet Olivia and Danny and the whole family and get a get a, a, a tour through Friar Park and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But there there were months when George Harrison like never left his 
And why would he? I mean, yeah. everything he needed was right there. It was, fa- it was fantastic. Amazing garden. They have a thing like the Matterhorn <laughs> in Disney that's like in the backyard, like far in the backyard. It's like, it's acres and acres. It's immense. That's immense. So it's, so it's brilliant. But, but um, I'm sure that he probably spent, you know, there were times when he spent three or four months on his property and probably forgot you know, woke up one day and had an entire day where he was like so busy, you know, gardening and this and that. He said he just forgot he was a Beatle. You know, he didn't wake <laughs> up and go, oh, I'm the guitar player in the Beatles. He woke up and he's like, I'm George. I'd like a cup of tea. Not that I'm, again, not that comparing myself to a Beatle. <laughs> well, that's two down so far. So we've got exactly. just two more to go. Um, I just want to ask a very, very quick question about this this treatment. Um, what prompted it? If you're a year and a half ago, suddenly this thought pops into your head. Oh. I've got an idea for Gremlins Three. What 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 was the eureka moment for you? Well, what what prompted it was, uh, I've I've written um, I've written this script uh, with my uh, with m- one of my co-writers, a guy named Dustin Warburton, who's done all of these really entertaining kids books. Uh, I've written a script called The Windmill Kids, and it's kind of like Ghostbusters Junior. It's sort of almost like a Goonies remake, but with a twist. Okay. Sort of like a Ghostbusters. It's very very eighties, very much the tone of like Super Eight. Did you guys oh, like yeah, Super yeah, 8? Yeah, yeah, really good. So, because my feeling is like that I love 80s movies. And I think that's why Adam Green offered me the movie because he's obsessed with the 80s. <laughs> and Gremlins is one of his favorite movies. Yeah. So, I just love the tone of those movies like Temple of Doom, Last Crusade. It just has a feeling about it. It's hard to describe what it is. Just yeah, it, has a, it has a kind of optimistic, fun, family-friendly, but not wimpy like two disneyfied version Absolutely. of it yeah so i wrote this and i and and actually dustin got in contact with warner brothers and they're like we're very interested in taking a look at the script um and if zach feels like it if he wants to sit down and throw out some gremlin three ideas we'd love to hear them so now i'm going like crikey right it's you know warner brothers saying they're interested in here so i thought to myself i don't really have any Gremlins three ideas to be honest I've got nothing <laughs> nothing so I went to sleep and obviously I, I did, don't want to give it away I thought of something and suddenly that gave me an idea that had to do with Gizmo and let's just say how he would get to England yeah okay and suddenly I sat bolt upright in my bed and I went oh my god that I think that is hilarious and just from that little kernel it all sort of kind of like fell into place once I once I I really put fully put put the franchise in 2011. Mm-hmm. It had something to do with with the way the world is now. Okay, and I linked that with the old 80s thing, and suddenly I was like, yeah, because Billy and Kate would be alive, they'd be living in clamp corners, <laughs> you know, and then this would happen, which happens to everybody, and you'd go, oh, and that. Uh, so I don't want to give it away. Sorry to be like, no, 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 no it's so, good, so it's secretive good. and stuff like that. Yeah. But you so can't. Billy is still alive; he hasn't been gremlinized. No, at no, some Bill, point. Billy's yeah. the dad now. Okay. See, I've just basically filled in the Hoyt position. Oh, okay, okay. It's just Phoebe and I. You see, Phoebe and I are now just Hoyt and Francis Lee McCain's parts. That's all. Mm. Okay, interesting. It's very interesting that people at Warner Brothers are actively thinking about this and, and trying to get. Well, you have to put yourself in an executive's position. Okay. Executives are basically t- terrified of one thing, losing their job. <laughs> it's the only thing that they want to do is hang on to their job. So they are the most risk-averse people in the world. So people go, how come there's been no Gremlins 3? Well, look at Ghostbusters 3. Yeah. Nobody will ever greenlight that movie unless Bill Murray's in it. I yeah. don't I don't act- actually believe that they will. Because if they do it and it fails, they go, why didn't you wait for Murray to sign off on this script? You're fired. <laughs> so they, they I, I really honestly would bet my life that they will not make that movie unless Bill Murray is attached to it. It simply won't happen. So I think that as far as Gremlins 3 is concerned, the one thing you want for a 3 is you're either going to reboot it, which they very well might do. Yeah. And then they'll they'll give me the part where I walk in and go, isn't that the, and you know, the glorified <laughs> cameo kind of thing like You'll that. You'll be a Mr. Futterman or something. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> or the, if they're going to do Gremlins 3, they have to have certain key elements attached to it for job security so they have to have Joe Dante they have to have they, they probably have to have like myself and Phoebe in order for them they don't need to they can do whatever they want but in order for them to feel invulnerable mm-hmm. and protected mm-hmm. they're going to want 
so, so that you know and Spielberg obviously would be the number one yeah otherwise if it fails for 150 million dollars they'll go someone on the board will turn to them and say how on earth did you greenlight this without X Y and Z mm. so the cover your ass mentality out there I think is is a large part of what's preventing anybody from moving forward um, uh, one last gremlins question Zach I promise you before uh, <laughs> before we let you go because you've been uh, I don't fantastic. I don't have I don't have gremlins fatigue now at all oh and you might have after this <laughs> you never know um, when you were on set shooting with these incredible puppets these Chris Wireless puppets and uh, Rick Baker and you know all, that, all those guys um, who did the voices I presume Harry Mandel and Frank Welker weren't on set Oh no, no, no! They weren't. There, there weren't any voices. Yeah. Like when I had the gizmo in my hand, what I heard is this. <laughs> little clicking, whirring sounds. Because it's very small, so the the cogs were small. If they were larger, they probably wouldn't. But they yeah. were tiny little things. So it was just. So that's all I ever heard, um, because the contraption was wired to my body right the wires came down out from basically out of his butt <laughs> and and the wires would come down they'd be taped down my body and they would go down my, my body and they would come out a hole uh-huh. in my sock and then each wire there are probably about eight wires would go to a joystick and each technician would control a various part of the gizmo. So one person would do their arms, one person would do the ears, uh-huh. one person would do the nose, yeah. one person would do the mouth. Each person would have a camera, a video monitor, so they could watch. And they spent months practicing before we even got there so that they could go. And Chris Wayless would be on the side. He would say something like, he would say, Zach, do whatever you want to do, but try and do it just a little slowly. So if you can scratch his head, scratch his head slowly. So I would like reach over, I'd scratch his head, and I'd hear Chris Wayless. They turned my volume up, and his volume were very low, and he would go, react, more ears. <laughs> so I'm acting, okay? I'm standing up. I'm dragging eight technicians attached to my leg, <laughs> okay? I've got wires running down the side of my body that are taped, taped to me that every time someone pulls a joystick is pinching like the ha- my hair and my flesh. Oh my God. So I have to ignore the di- physical discomfort. I have to ignore the conversations that are going on behind me. And if that wasn't preposterous enough, they're all walking around like on crab legs, squatted down on crab legs. <laughs> because if you watch Gremlins, nothing is shot from the w- waist down. Okay. It's all sort of from the waist up, medium-sized shots. Yeah. That's because the technicians' heads are literally <laughs> about two to two and a half inches below the frame line as they're crab walking with their joysticks and monitors attached to them. I mean, it was insanity. <laughs> Absolute insanity. So there are no voices. A lot of times there weren't gremlins. I mean, basically, the experience would be like, say, you're standing there, right? Joe will say, look over there in the corner of the door. And you look there and he goes, okay, there's a huge gremlin. Be scared. <laughs> there was nothing there. So a lot of, you know, a lot of the reactions where I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out, I'm just freaking out to just images in my head. There's oh nothing there at all. So that sort of Bob Hoskins when Who Framed Roger Rabbit experience where he, yeah. was, he started to hallucinate and see Roger Rabbit and Weedles for a month on end. Yeah. Wow, that's I can I, now I can imagine why you got Gremlins fatigue <laughs> at a certain point. But uh, cool, uh, Zach Gallagher, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank, thank you. you for, thank you for stopping by. 